So this Sunday, we're reflecting on the upcoming decision that Australia is making with regards to the proposed voice to Parliament. And when I came to think about this sermon and what I might say, I realised that the choice of Bible passage wasn't going to be obvious because the Bible has very little to say, at least directly, about the wording of the Australian Constitution. It may surprise you to know. But that's actually not really the problem. The problem is that the Bible is written almost entirely from the perspective of the marginalised, from the perspective of the excluded, of the refugee, of the exile. For most of the history of God's people, that is who they were. And even the stories of the kingdom of Solomon and David, that brief golden period in Israel's history, those stories, most scholars agree, were written down afterwards in exile. And of course, the New Testament was written under Roman rule. And even within Israel, Jesus and his first followers were not the powerful, they were the outsiders for the most part. And not realising this has been the cause of many misuses of the scriptures. When the powerful read words like God promising that God will raise you up or that God will defeat your enemies, when the powerful read those words and claim them for themselves, words that were spoken to those who had no power and could only hope for God to rescue them. And in the context of the relationship between the first and the second peoples of Australia, we as second peoples, most of us, are not the excluded or the marginalised or the disempowered. So we have to reflect that we approach the scriptures as it were from the other side. So I chose to go with Romans chapter 12. Mostly just because it has this beautiful description of life as it could be. Extend hospitality, live in harmony, as far as you can live at peace with others. A way of living that I think Christians across the political spectrum and for, against or undecided on the referendum would agree is a way of life greatly to be desired we're just not quite sure how to get there. And then I chose Jesus' words from Luke chapter 4. Jesus' mission statement, it's often called, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favour. And that could be used powerfully in this discussion for the year of the Lord, Lord's favour, probably the year of jubilee as described in the Jewish law, a time when all land was to be returned to the families who originally owned it. That could lend some weight to the words of the oils. It belongs to them. It's time to give it back. Except again, it's more complicated because 
in the year of the Jubilee, the land was to be returned to the people of the nation of Israel that it had been given to. Not the people who'd been in the land before they arrived. The people they took it from. We read the story of the entrance to the promised land as God's gift. But read it again from the perspective of someone living in Jericho when the walls come down, when the people arrive and take the land from you. Which is to say it's complicated what the Bible says about land and who lives where is complicated. And that's not to say that the Bible doesn't speak to issues that we face or to this issue that we face as a nation. It does, of course. It paints a picture of many values, like those in the reading from Romans, the values of hospitality, of generosity, of grace, of reconciliation. Values which are all relevant, values which we would all affirm, but again, which we struggle with how to apply. So if it's complicated, why has the uniting church, excuse me, why is it that the uniting church has taken a very clear stand in favour of the forthcoming referendum. It is not actually just a matter of us being a bunch of woke lefties. I do remember at a previous church once being told that I was an only partially reformed Marxist. Those words were not meant as a compliment, in case you were wondering, but I chose to take them as one. But in this case, there's actually a much more specific and I think much better reason that the Uniting Church has taken the position it has. The Uniting Church has spoken in favour of an Indigenous advisory voice to Parliament because we've got one within the Church and it's worked really well. For us. In the Uniting Church, we have the UAICC, the United Uniting Aboriginal and Islander Christian Congress, which I always have to check what it stands for. Congress for short. And the UAICC, the Congress, has a status within the Uniting Church which is remarkably similar to that which has been proposed for the national voice. It is a mechanism by which the voices of our indigenous sisters and brothers can speak into discussions about decisions we take as a church, especially at the national level when we meet as a national assembly. Congress does a lot more than that, but that's the aspect of it that I'd like to focus on. When the church gathers every three years or so, COVID kind of messed us around a bit, but when the church gathers for a national assembly, 
there are rules, obviously, around the way that our conversations take place, the way decisions get taken. And those rules are written in such a way to ensure that the voice of Congress is included whenever our indigenous siblings feel that the effect of decisions on their community needs to be given particular attention. Now, when I first went to assembly a while ago now, I was dubious about this. I read the guide before I attended about how processes work, and I was uncertain about the wisdom of having a special set of rules for one group. Of course, that's one of the objections raised, legitimately raised, to the voice. But what I quite quickly realised was that our whole default decision-making process, for those of us from an Anglo-influenced background, reflects a cultural approach. We have proposals and we have amendments, we have speeches for and against, we have discussion of wording, we have Robert's rules of order and the like. And within the church we have what's called the manual for meetings, a framework to do those things within a consensus decision-making process. But still a very structured process governed by rules of order, at least when it's done properly. And that's good. I like that. I like the clarity of decision-making that that leads to. And I like the fact that the Manual for Meetings has a way of seeking compromise, a way of respectfully hearing dissenting voices. Not just the Manual for Meeting, of course, many decision-making processes within a Western framework do the same, perhaps not so much in Parliament, but in many places. At the moment, Terence Corkin, who was the former General Secretary of the Uniting Church is in India at the same meeting that Sveik is attending, a gathering of the Christian Congress of Asia representing 50 or 60 million Christians, where they've decided to take on the consensus decision-making process. And he's over there helping them learn how to do it. The World Council of Churches adopted the process some years ago, to ensure that the smaller voices are heard. But even with that consensus slant on decision-making, it's still done according to a Western culture approach. And applying the same rules to everybody isn't actually treating everybody the same. You may well have seen this cartoon. John, if you can have the slide up um, before. If you can't read the words, for a fair selection, everybody has to take the same exam. Please climb that tree. Thanks. 
We have rules within our system and we apply them to everyone. But the system is still one built on Western assumptions about how we operate. With its clarity of rules, with its clarity of decision making. Again, which I like. Because that's who I am. And so within that system, within those rules, we have in the Neising Church rules set to allow space for the voices of those whose cultures operate in different ways. Like the indigenous cultures of this nation to be heard ways that that voice can be heard even when it cannot for cultural reasons come in the ways that we are used to voices coming and that's actually worked really well for the uniting church the best example of it that i can think of although there are many is when we had a de debate on marriage equality and whether the Uniting Church would accept same-sex marriages. Now, broadly speaking, stereotyping a little bit, indigenous Christians in Australia tend to be more conservative than those of us from the Anglo majority. So how is that going to work? How could we, as a church, respect the calls of the marginalised rainbow community and the voices of the marginalised indigenous community when they pulled us in different directions. How would we do that as a church? And the answer, it turned out, was by listening to the voices in culturally appropriate ways in ways that would ensure that the voices weren't just heard, but that those speaking knew that they had been heard. As a result of which, the, the Congress spoke into that conversation and was heard and felt heard and was able to agree that though we differ, they'd been heard their view had been considered, and yet we had gone a different way. And because of that, we were able to go that different way, still united as a church. This process which created a difference, if you like, which set out a different set of rules, which applied only to one cultural group, actually allowed us to go forwards more united, even in such a contentious decision. The proposed voice to Parliament has many similarities in that it can speak and advise, but not to veto. It can expect to be heard, but it cannot expect necessarily to prevail. In the end, decision-making remains with the democratic process. 
governed by those rules with their clarity and their precision of outcome that we value. But within that process, space is carved out for another process to feed in, a process with different cultural norms. And it has worked well for us as a church. The proof is there, if you like, in the numbers. The Uniting Church is the third or fourth biggest denomination in Australia, depending on whether you count all the Pentecostal churches as one denomination, in which case they're bigger than us. But we're much smaller than the big two, the Anglicans and the Catholics. And yet, amongst indigenous Australians, we're the largest Christian denomination. By far, the UAICC is the biggest indigenous Christian group in this country by a considerable margin. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we are the one denomination that has chosen to incorporate a way of listening to our indigenous siblings into our constitution. And that at the same time, we are the Christian group with which our indigenous sisters and brothers most strongly identify. So I believe the Uniting Church has decided to speak in favour of the voice to Parliament because we have a really positive experience of something which is in many ways similar, different in others, but in many ways similar. And we also chose as a church to speak in favour of the voice because Having that voice within our community, we have chosen on this matter to listen. And the Uniting Church decided some years ago that our approach to any proposal coming from the federal government in response to the statement from the heart would be shaped by the response of the UAICC, would be shaped by the response of the indigenous peoples within our church. We would enter into a conversation together, but on this question, we would give the decision over to Congress. And Congress has spoken consistently and passionately in favour of the voice. Which in the end means for me that Despite the questions which remain in my mind, I can listen to the indigenous voice within the church. And given the clarity with which that voice has spoken, I cannot imagine how I, a relatively recent arrival to these shores, though I have now lived in Australia more than half my life, I worked out the other day, but I'm still a relatively recent arrival. All of us are relatively recent arrivals by the standards of 60,000 years of culture. I cannot imagine how I, new to these shores, 
would turn to the Congress and tell them that I know better than they do what is needed as the next step in our national reconciliation. That's why the Uniting Church has spoken in favour of the voice. It's why I am personally supporting it. Amen.